Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And man, I got a really awesome episode with you ahead today. I'm interviewing none other than the one and the only Sam Pura, who is an amazing engineer. He owns the Panda Studios, and he's worked with some awesome bands such as The Story So Far, State Champs, 100th, and a whole bunch more. And we have an awesome episode. He gives a lot of really cool advice, especially on the topic of recording guitars. Sam just has like a really unique approach to recording guitars, and and I think that his guitar tones are amazing. So I'm really excited for you to learn a little bit more about his process behind doing that. But before we get into the episode, I just want to give a very quick listener spotlight to a listener who left an amazing review on iTunes. It was just an awesome review, so I wanted to share it with you guys. The review is from John Guitarpenter, which... I feel like that's got to be a made-up last name. It's probably just Carpenter. But uh, either way, it's a five-star rating, and he says, This is by far the most informative podcast to help audio enthusiasts and professionals. They take the time to get into the details that can really make a difference in your mixes. Keep up the excellent content, please. John, thank you so much for leaving that review. I really do appreciate it, and I love that you're listening to this podcast and you're finding it so helpful. And... uh, Guys, if, if you are enjoying this podcast, please make sure to leave a rating and a review on iTunes because it really does help the podcast grow and get exposed to more people. So if you leave an awesome review like that, I will definitely shout it out on the next episode of the podcast too. So that's pretty much it for today's intro, and I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. So let's just jump right into it. Sam, thanks for being on the podcast. Yes. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No problem, man. Glad to have you. So for people who might not know your background and how you got into this, can you give us a little bit of that story and who you are, what you do, what kind of projects you've worked on? Yeah. So uh, my name is Sam Pura, and I am based in the San Francisco Bay Area of California. The West Coast is the best coast, and the Bay Area is 10 times better than Los Angeles, uh, so yeah, um, I'm so stoked to be up here. It's great. Born and raised. Great place. And believe it or not, that's, that's the place that I had the best slice of pizza in my life. Oh, really? Where I at? I can't remember where it was, but it was like some little shop downtown. It was like, that's awesome. it tasted like my Nona's like pesto pasta. It was awesome. There you go. Yeah. It's the most beautiful area. Super expensive, but whatever. So yeah, anyways, grew up in the Bay Area here. Uh, you know, born and raised, played in a bunch of local bands, hardcore bands, metal bands, like emo bands, played a bunch of different things and uh, was always kind of the <clears throat> band leader. I was like the, I was, I was basically like the, you know, musical director of all of my projects uh, and, or like I would jump into another band's project and like make them even better by like helping them with their songs and stuff like that. So like production and like collaboration has always like been what I do. And so uh, after I was like, I was in high school. I hated high school, had terrible grades and like had to figure out some sort of college thing. So I was like, well, why don't I just go to recording school? Cause I can totally do this. And so went to recording school, started just recording DIY bands on myself. And one thing led to another started in my mom's bedroom and then needed more space because it was annoying to be at my mom's house. Then uh, moved out. I'm in my current seventh studio where I've been here for like eight years now. Built, designed the entire place, two studios. So I'm sitting currently in my second control room, which is my east control room. Uh, today in my west control room, 
we were doing reamps simultaneously for another project while I was doing vocals in this room. So super uh, awesome to have two spaces. Like I'm literally just constantly working on projects, which is fucking awesome. Lots of indie stuff, mostly independent stuff. Uh, not too much label shit. Just word of mouth stuff has kept me busy for the last almost like 17 years now, which is crazy to think of. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically what I do. That's cool, man. And you play a few different instruments, right? Yeah, I, I played guitar uh, like in bands. Um, and then through playing guitar, I like when I started getting into recording, I became obsessed with drums because drums are the most like important part of building the structure of, of a good mix. So uh, drums, like I just became obsessed with them. I know exactly like I don't physically play them well. Um, I, I just I can hit them well, but I don't actually like keep beats or anything like that. But I'm really good at programming and like understanding the perception of how to play drums to songs. And with that, I became obsessed with bass because if you want to have massive low end, you have to have your bass be completely tucked in with your kick and your or your guitars, like identical, you know, hits and, you know, movements. And so that's where I got really into bass and I play bass all the time on records, which is awesome. Lots of bands like to let me play and or sometimes I force it on them, <laughs> depending <laughs> on uh, how how uh, bad our bass is going. But um, yeah, I love bass. And then from there, vocals are like one of my favorite things to record. And I, I love, I love singing. I'm terrible at like I have a terrible voice, but I can I can hit notes, and I'm like really good at hitting notes and like singing a part to people and showing them how to sing it right, and like just showing them the nuances. And that's like I'm obsessed with like every instrument that I record, basically, which is almost all the time just big drums, <laughs> big guitars, big bass, real consistent like doubled vocals, lots of stacked harmonies, like big wall sound production. And uh, yeah, now I'm really into synths, and that's kind of been my new thing. So awesome. That's. Yeah, man. Very well-rounded. I don't know any music theory, though. Yeah, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat, man. Like, I, I started as a drummer, so music theory just went over my head, and it was a totally different, yeah. different ballgame. It's all math to me. Yeah, I, I literally describe it as math. And when I have to do, like, when I have to do harmonies and stuff like that, I, like, pull out my... I have this little white keyboard here, a little Casio VL tone. <laughs> nice. And so, uh, yeah, it's basically my my keyboard, and I just use it all day to, like, figure out what the notes are, what the patterns are, what the, like what the syllable hits are and like what the, how to make things like symmetrically, like correct. Like I'm obsessed with pop music, like I'm obsessed with Max Martin productions and stuff. So I just love like, like harmonically and mathematically correct song structures. Yeah. Max Martin's awesome. So you were talking about um, drums kind of being like the foundation of yeah. every, of every song and the importance of having a good drummer and, and uh, laying those drum tracks down to you. What, what does it take to be a good drummer and lay that foundation down properly? No drummer knows how to hit cymbals correctly. They're really bad at hitting cymbals. And they're also really bad with cymbal choices in terms of like when and where to hit crashes, how to incorporate them to actually like complement songs. Most dudes just like bash on a cymbal to keep time as opposed to like understanding that it's actually like a harmonic tool that needs to be used like correctly in songs. So like that's like step one is like, backing everything down, making sure that like dudes are hitting software on cymbals and like using like the right stabs correctly. You know what I mean? Like we're only going to big crash hits when we're actually like trying to accent parts of songs or like signal new like songwriting and arrangement changes. So that's like step one. Step two is like making sure that all of the kick patterns like follow all of the guitar and most importantly, the vocal like melody or the you know the vocal like syllable count and structures like so that everything is just 
hitting together and is this perfect loop that just has this big impressive sound you know what i mean yeah. so that's like that's that's the biggest thing that takes a long time to like communicate to uh dudes and like also you know if if dudes aren't if they aren't like quick to adapt to trying a different version of the beat and they're just like stuck in the muscle memory of it like it gets really difficult especially when you're like oh we're, we're trying to like blast through like 10 songs in three days and like a, d- a drummer then starts getting really frustrated that he's taking like five hours for one song you know it's like that's completely understandable it's totally fine but like also we need you to adapt a little bit quicker to these hits if you want to actually you know move on like stop playing it wrong start playing it right you know yeah so it's like it gets stressful but it's like fun stress i love doing drums i find it to be like the funnest thing i actually do drums last now instead interesting yeah because now i have a midi drum set sitting here and i just have the drummer sit on the midi drum set play all stuff program it all (laughs) record everything all the di guitars all the di bass uh, and then I record drums after that so that we like establish what the actual, what the music is supposed to be. You know what I mean? That way we don't have like missed opportunities with cymbal hits, missed opportunities with kick hits. Like that way we're, we're all the math is correct. You know what I mean? It's very interesting. Well, I guess, I guess it makes sense. I mean, as long as you're performing tightly to a click and you can add the drums after the fact, then it doesn't sound weird. Yeah. Where so many people, yeah, it's, so many people use the drums as the click afterwards, right? No, exactly, man. Like it's people just think of drums as like, uh, you just put put down a beat and then you like build everything on top of it. But it's like, that's, that's how you do it. But then it's about creatively removing and adding hits to actually accent like these vocal structures, these vocal, like, like strong syllables, like strong word syllables. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that like, when I, when I sit down and listen to like a Katy Perry, like teenage dream record, I'm like, everything is perfect. This is so perfect. And so then like, what a dude plays a very obviously wrong kick pattern. I'm like, it's wrong. And it needs to be this instead, because these are the hits that everyone is doing. And this is it, you know, like it's just, I just hear those things now. Like I hear exactly what it's supposed to be, not what they're doing. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. It makes me think of like, like Dave Grohl is one of my favorite musicians and, and, uh, yep. and like, I've heard him talk about even writing guitar parts from the perspective of like, what, what would the drums play? And he even plays like, you know, his top string is like the kick drum for example, and like, you know, he'll strum the guitar a certain way to kind of mimic the way the drums would hit. And and I think that that's one reason why you get like a really tight arrangement, right? And it's like planning everything yep. to work with each other. No, totally. Yeah, that, uh, that I'm thinking about that one Foo Fighters song that's like, like that's literally just the drum beat, you know what I mean? Like, it's funny. <laughs> You're right. For, for sure. Cool. So, um, Tell me a little bit about the studio that you got. So obviously you've got the two rooms. Yep. And are you, do you normally treat them as two separate entities? Like, are they kind of doing their own thing or is it something you do like use both rooms at, at, for the same projects? So it like started as basically being like, I had a bunch of freelance guys, like always tried to use time. So then they would, they would do evenings and then it was just like, all right, well, why don't we just like get the, the space next door because my neighbor gave it up. And so we were like, let's, let's get that space, build a second studio in it. And that way we can like, you know, we could do two bands simultaneously or I can do guitars in one room and bass in another room. And so like I have a bunch of freelance students that come and use it all the time. Like today, for example, as I'm like reamping guitars, like I have it going on in one room and I'm doing vocals for a completely different project in this room. So it allows me to like, you know, stay productive and like keep everything moving on things. And like, I don't have to um, halt progress on one thing because I'm working on another, you know what I mean? So uh, that's really helpful. But then also like, in a case like this, this band, The Dangerous Summer, that I just did a record for, they were here for like two months, and the singer AJ literally slept in this room. 
and just worked on all his vocal like pre-production and like demos right here. So the band would sit and they'd play, they'd have everything set up for a live performance and everything was like set up to record in here. So it was just like, great. They could record and jam a song and have everything ready to go. Then the singer would sit here and like write all the vocal uh, parts for it. And then once we had like the complete demo, we would then start recording it in the studio next door. So that way it was just like the jam practice spot, like writing room, and then the actual recording studio next door. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, sometimes you just need a, a creative outlet and having another room or a different environment can do that for you, right? Yeah. And it's just like, it's nice too, because like I, I have all my keyboards and stuff like that set up in here. So that way, like my other room is more like the analog gear, the mixing room, the tracking room, and then like the keyboards and all that, like the MIDI production and all like the production stuff, like the math, <laughs> like you do it in this room. You know what I mean? Like... That way you can like shoot out the MIDI and like have all your keyboards running and, you know, do MIDI drums and whatever. And then do things like vocals when I have like, I share 500 series preamps between each room. So like I just can move the exact same chain over in between each of them. So it's super easy, super cool. Also, each each room is patchable, so I could patch in from any room. So That's very cool. You've mentioned MIDI a few times. So like how important is MIDI in your productions? It's starting to become a lot more important. Um, I mean, it's it's important in terms of just like, like math, you know what I mean? Like in terms of like getting it all correct, you know what I mean? So that it's like you have your great guides and like, so, you know, the the drums like with the MIDI then leads me to be like, all right, now I'm comfortable with like doing that. So let me program like some keyboard like idea things that I have. And then with that, I'm like, all right, now let me just start doing like some arpeggiating stuff and like some other like, so now I'm just like, I kind of dove down the MIDI hole and like I'm, I'm, I'm now like just adding that stuff into productions all the time now. You know what I mean? I'm just like anything that I hear, I can like kind of, create and throw down there real quick so it's uh it's been cool i've been working on it a lot more you know like definitely like a- after working on like story so far stuff the last record like i tried to go more <laughs> ambient and experimental and like more textures and so that's that's like uh in the direction of where i want to go with like my productions and, and sounds you know what i mean gotcha so you're using it more as a tool for like composition and and uh you know, mm-hmm. adding some more backing tracks as as opposed to just like exactly. writing the entire song with like, you know, MIDI bass yeah. and program guitar. Nothing like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's all just the, the like the first thing you described, all composition based and just overdub based. Cool. And you, you'd also mentioned that um, in your main tracking room, you've got a lot of outboard gear and you're using a lot of analog stuff. Yeah. One of the first times that I heard about you was actually when I was starting to go down the rabbit hole of 500 series stuff. And, uh, oh, that's fine, and yeah. I was looking into the hairball gear and they, and, you seem to be a very big advocate of their equipment. So I was, I was curious to know, like, how did that whole DIY thing start for you? And like, how'd you get into it? And why do you prefer to go the DIY route as opposed to, you know, just sticking to like maybe the name brand stuff that you could just buy? Got it. I'm very glad you asked this because I'm a, I'm a very big nerd about this. (laughs) It basically starts at the time that, um, you know, some, some guys are actual fucking like, I mean, let's go back to what is an audio engineer? Well, theoretically in the past like if you were an audio engineer you were a guy who fucking built a console and you knew how to fucking route all that shit you know what i mean so like you were a fucking straight up electrical engineer you know what i mean and you were dealing with audio equipment and so that's that's a school of like of uh training and like that's a that's a like a whole vibe and a whole like you know it's a whole approach that like really solidifies like taking things seriously from the components inside of your gear to the microphone choices to the room etc you know what i mean like in order to think about like audio like an audio scientist you need to actually like 
do some science shit, like build some gear and stuff. You know what I mean? So these guys are like, you know, calibrating, you know, machines and building their own tape machine. Like, so that it's like, you know, I could calibrate a tape machine. Now I got to fix the tape machine. Got it. Now I, I could fix a LA-2A. Okay. Now I, I could build my own clone of an LA-2A. And so like, that's what, you know, traditionally these guys were doing. So then what happens is, you know, you get forums and all these guys are like, yo, I created like a clone of this thing and they're talking about it and sharing it. And you can't like post that shit on gear sluts at the time because it's like, you're technically like, you know, cloning gear and it's like not really illegal, but it's like technically frowned upon and whatever. So it was like kind of a really, like when I first started getting into it, it was like a very like wild west world. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like, it's maybe like 2005 ish, 2006 maybe. Um, but it was just, you know, right as I was like really trying to, I wanted, I wanted an SSL compressor. I wanted a fucking, you know, I want some EQs and stuff like that. And like, I see like some dudes have some DIY stuff and like the, the draft stuff is like the first thing that you see, you know? And then everyone starts like using those, those initial designs and they're building their own versions of that. And so then when you're, you're seeing like, Oh, like what's the, like a West Trex, like LA3A, what's that? Like, it's like, Oh, it's just a giraffe clone, like that this dude built and like put his name on it. So then you start like getting, you start learning all about it and start getting nerded out. Right. So basically then it goes down to, all right, so now we're into building preamps and shit like that. So when you start getting into like, why do we use uh, a Cappy preamp instead of just like, an API preamp. Well, okay, let's talk about the company API. What is API? Well, API was a company that Paul Wolf purchased. And so Paul Wolf purchased that company and he created the API 550. He created the 512. And uh, I think it was like the 3124. Maybe he didn't create the 512. I think he just created the 3124 and like modified the 512 or whatever, updated it. And so then eventually he sells the company and it's no longer his company and it's some other name brand thing. And then they want to issue reissues and like have that stuff made cheaper and charge more for it. And then you get DIY kits and DIY versions of them that are actually more true to the original signal flow and the actual components than the actual name brand gear that you could purchase. And then when I say that, people are like, no, dude, like it can't sound as good. It's like, <laughs> yes, it sounds exactly as good. It sounds even better because the science is correct. You know what I mean? And like, then you got Paul like fucking helping out Jeff Steiger for Cappy. And it's like, Paul Wolf is helping Cappy like <laughs> finish up this is like the guy who was the API fucking owner and CEO. Like, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, so. I just, that's how I got into like, you know, learning about hairball and like getting in cool with Mike and uh, yeah, man, it's just like, there's, there's really smart people building really cool shit and making it super affordable. And it's like, people don't understand like how good some of these things sound. You know what I mean? Like compared to like the name brands, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's crazy. Dude. I agree. Like I, I have a bunch of the Cappy stuff and the hairball stuff and I, I prefer it over, like I prefer my Cappies over any of the modern APIs. Like, I think they sound incredible. Yeah, absolutely. They sound more like they sound more rounded and better. Yeah. yeah and I think to your point of like the the original engineers being the people that get into the parts and, you know, you understand the technology a lot better. So you have much more respect for it. Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, it's just it's fun, dude. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of outboard gear and using that versus like plugins in the box, like do you have a preference for for outboard or not? Like, no, I don't really like. I mean, yes, essentially. I mean, like I. I have a preference for using outboard instead of using in the box stuff because I prefer to just like get it right at the source. And then I use the in the box stuff as like mixing. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to like 
pull up these plugins and be like, oh, my kick doesn't sound good. Let me just like wrench on these plugins. Like I'm just going to plug in analog gear and wrench on the analog gear until it sounds good. Yeah, for sure. I just like that form of like that workflow. I like the tactile, like, you know, faders and knobs. And I just, that's like the school of thought that I, that I come from, like working off of an SSL and learning at an SSL, you know, like I want to dial it in on, on the, at the source. And, um, kind of on the same lines of the DIY stuff, like you also have a microbot, right? Yeah, I do. And did you build that? Uh, my homie Carrie built it for me, but yeah, like pretty much the first like fucking cheap DIY one that ever existed before, like Dynamount and stuff like that. And like we were going to try to like manufacture it, but just got too busy making records. That's amazing. So, so for people who might not know what we're talking about, can you explain a little bit about how the micro robot works and how you use it in your workflow? Short story is like, you know, you see that a dude like Eric Valentine has one. Then you watch the, you know, Native Instruments release of the Rammstein fucking guitar pack and they're like, show that dude's crazy ass micro robot. And I'm like, what the fuck? I want a micro robot. <laughs> like that would like, that would change my entire like game. And it, it's so funny because like, you know, sorry, we built it. And all I wanted it to do was go left and right and front and back. Like, I'm not a big off-axis fan or anything like that. I just like it straight on. All it does is, like, I just have it hooked up to a joystick, and it can go left, right, front, back. And I, I basically find that I have, like, a, a two-inch range of, like, movement that I like to move. And, like, that's it. <laughs> and, like, with the microphone row, I, like, developed, like, that I just like this general area. And, like, more or less, like, if I move it a little bit, I can, like, cut out some of the harsh stuff. But ultimately, like, I like speakers right on a, a cone like i like it just dead front i just like it to be aggressive and mean and textured you know yeah i was curious about that because like I, I feel like when you have the microbot your natural inclination is probably to go a little nuts with it and like explore every possibility right yeah i did and, yeah. and so i was curious like if you had if you had found any unusual positions that just all of a sudden blew your mind but sounds like you're just kind of no, sticking to the yeah. classic right in front kind of thing yes yeah, th that's that's the thing that i find that is like like that's what I think is is kind of the most validating like thing sometimes is like you you go down the rabbit hole of like really trying to learn these things and like have an aha moment, you know what I mean? And like you're chasing like this like you're chasing, you know, this desired end result and really what you learn through the process of that is that it's just like hundreds of thousands of tiny variables that add up to the final end result, you know what I mean? And that's where like, you know, you start like it's not like you know, all of a sudden, if I have this one guitar mic position, it's just like, aha, now my guitar tone is good. Like, no, like, that's never happened to me. You know what I mean? Like, or like, like, you know, like, oh, dude, if only I get a Royer 121, like, my guitar tone will be perfect. Get it. And then it's like dark and bloated, and I have to like cut out all this low end and can't run my amps as loud as I usually do. Hate it. Done like a 121, back to a 57. You know what I mean? So it's like, you just kind of find that like, like trying to keep it simple and just like focus on like the actual song is like the best thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, cause you'll be like, you'll just, you can spend fucking forever trying to get a good guitar tone. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, actually the player sucks. He's playing this part like shit and the entire song sucks. So like, it doesn't even matter if the guitar tone's good. This entire thing sucks. You know what I mean? So like you can get lost so easily in those variables. So I try to, I try to instead, now focus on getting lost in the variables of songwriting and production and arrangement as opposed to like tonal options you know what i mean for sure i try to just keep it really simple and like i know i know my signal flows i know my like my good chains and uh if i'm not getting a good sound i'll swap it on the on the process but i prefer to just have everything set up the same all the time now you know like it's not like also that's the thing too that's like important to note like i hesitate to call my studio like a, a recording studio like it's a production facility you know what i mean it's like the panda studios like it's like two production facilities in here it's not just like i'm a recording studio that like 
has this gear to use. I have like specific choices that are meant for my signal flow. You know what I mean? This entire thing is tailored around like my signal flow and like my way of like making records because I'm a production facility, not a recording studio. Yeah. You know? I, I love, I love your outlook on that, especially cause like, yeah, when I, when I was doing some research on the studio, it sounded like you had a lot of like fun experimental gear that, you know, you can get totally lost in like between the, the microbot and you also have a, a drumbrella, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of people would just get lost in like this technology and be like, oh, let's like mess around with this and that and like move things around all the time just because they think that they need to use it, right? But it sounds like you're just using, you, you kind of know what works and you stick to it. Yeah, well, they like, those things only become mainstays in my signal flow if they actually make me work faster and smarter and yield better end results. You know what I mean? So like having the drumbrella, for example, is like, it's not like, it doesn't introduce this crazy amount of variables. It actually fixes my problem immediately. And so like my problem is one, I want to tune the drums to the key of the song and make them sound harmonically correct with the song. Perfect. Now that that's done, maybe my snare sounds small, Maybe it sounds a little like it's getting too much reverberation or whatever. So then I play with the height of the drumbrella until the drum set sounds punchy, even, and responds correctly for the tempo of the song. Done. Like at that point, I don't have to be like, oh, maybe I should mute the snare. It's like, oh, like, like it actually like solves like hours and hours of other variables within seconds. You know what I mean? Of like fucking with four feet of a height difference. You know what I mean? Like, so that's like, that's why it's awesome. You know what I mean? Then the robot is basically like, I like the 57 in the middle. Great. Let's pull up this Marshall and let's listen to that. It sounds a little harsh. Let me move the mic just a tiny bit. Perfect. Now let me EQ that. Done. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, let me run out to my room. Let me, uh, let's, let's try a different mic. Uh, what should we, uh, uh, what, like I've already done that work. I've done that work over the 17 years of making records. I've done the nerd shit. You know what I mean? Like instead, the nerd shit is like making songs hell of badass. You know what For I mean? Sure. Yeah, it sounds like you've really like templated your entire approach. Like, sure, you might move some things slightly, but like for the most part, it sounds like you're using a lot of the same gear and you know where you're going to put it. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I think that's really important because, yeah, a lot of people just get lost in the gear and 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 wanting to experiment too much. The, the other thing, too, is like what I also started learning is that people come to me because of a sound that I can produce you know what i mean like i have a heavy sonic thumbprint and like have created bands identities and sounds with the gear that i have here you know what i mean and so like that's where when people are like i like those records i want to come and record it's like great you're going to use all that stuff because it's just my stuff you know what i mean like walk in it's the same stuff you're going to use like my great new snare drum that i got that's the best bell brass snare i've ever used hit it yeah it sounds perfect doesn't it great awesome sit down you know what I mean? it's just like everything's ready to go you know yeah for sure and that's a really good point too is just that like every engineer brings their own creative style to it. And that's their own unique sonic texture that, you know, if you're hiring somebody, that's why you go to them. There's a million engineers out there. Yeah. A good example is like, if you watch like the, the new Rick Rubin documentary, which is really good, it's on Showtime, but it's funny. Cause I used to, used to, I loved the idea of Rick Rubin that I watched the documentary. I'm like, I fucking hate Rick Rubin, but <laughs> it's, it's just funny. Uh, just like his like guru shtick, but I, I think he's like really smart and he has like a, a unique approach. 
But he tries to remain invisible and he wants his engineers to be completely invisible too. And like, that's like one way of working on things, but that's not my way of working on things. My way is like being like abrasively involved. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's just my style as uh, of like making records as opposed to like, yeah, whatever you want to do, man. Like, that sounds good. Like, cool. You like that? Like, whoa, whoa, what, what kind of amp were you thinking of using? What do you want? It's like, you're going to use this. You're going to plug into this, play that harder. You're not playing it right. You know, it's just, that's my style. Yeah, for sure. That's why people would hire you. That makes total sense. One of the things that I've really admired about your productions is your guitar tones. I've always thought you've had awesome guitar Thank tones. You, and uh, when I was doing some research on it, I discovered that you kind of have a very unique approach to recording guitars in the sense that you love to record guitars just completely with DIs, right? Yep. Yep. Like, so you, you don't have any other amp sounds going. It's all straight DI. If they're uncomfortable with it, I'll put on like an amp sound, but I prefer to just listen to the guitar. I want to hear if there's any, if you're strumming it wrong, if you're hitting any other strings weird. Like I, I want to, I, I want the guitar to sound like a MIDI keyboard. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I want it to sound perfect. I want you to be recording your songs, like, like the vision of your song, not be limited to the performance you did uh, while recording that song. You know what I mean? Like, I want to make the riff sound like it's meant to sound. You know what I mean? Like, you wrote the riff this way, so let's let's make it sound perfect like that. Play it on these guitars. It sounds best on this guitar. Let's listen to it. Just plug it in DI. Play that. Play it really slow. Let's work on that. Let's make sure that it's clean. Okay, now let's record this. Here we go. You know, so like... I feel like that's the best way to approach like that's I feel like that's the most respectful way of showing that I care about making your record important as opposed to like oh what amp do you want to use plug it in cool I, I threw up a mic I you know I got this new EQ that I'm using it sounds awesome here it is bypassed here it is on okay got it uh let's just play your song from the top and then tell me if you like that take and we'll move on like that's total bullshit you know what I mean like I'd rather like riff by riff care about making fucking awesome music you know so is there a specific process that you follow with recording through di or, or is it just like literally as simple as like just plug into a di and you're good to go plug into a di and you're good to go that's awesome yeah i, I mean i use an avalon di and i have it like level matched for my reamp box and stuff like that like i've gone through the whole fucking nerd thing of finding the most true best di thing and uh, i have my way and that's just an avalon di my reamp box that i built and yeah it's just ready to go cool and then are you normally tracking it like section by section, are you doing full takes? Like, what's your approach with that? Section by section, uh, bar by bar, note by note, whatever it takes, you know? Yeah. And so then on that note of, you were just talking about kind of playing with the amp versus just being completely clean. Like, what, what do you say to people who are like, well, part of playing guitar is like playing with the amp sound and like digging in and feeling the amp tone? Yeah, I, th I think that's total bullshit. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, I, you know, like, I think... I think that a guitar amp, like the whole point of why people like playing a, a guitar amp like that is because they're forgiving. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like once you have a gain structure set up, they're forgiving and they're lying to you. And that's why you like that. You know what I mean? Like you don't like hearing the truth and it forces you to actually be a better player. You know, isn't that the point of why we're here to make the record? You know, that's my whole outlook at it. And so, so with the DI, like what advantages do you have really like what what is it that you're really focused on hearing when you're doing a di like that well i could edit the shit out of it i want it to sound like a perfect stereo image that just is hitting me and i want it to move the speakers and punch me in the face and i want it to be perfectly in tune i don't want to hear any chorusing flam i don't want to hear anything like that i just want to i don't want any distractions i just want to hear the song i don't want to hear a shitty guitar player on the right playing the like riff a little bit worse than the guy on the left like i want it to be two perfect identical awesome takes you know and are you but you use an evertune right 
Yep. And and that obviously is a, a major part of being really locked in. Major part of yeah, major part of helping. I mean, like all the initial stuff that I did like wasn't Evertune, and then I just you know like I start started becoming obsessed with stacking guitars. You know, I would be like, my guitar tone isn't big enough. I need to stack it. Like, and so like, and just blending different unique tones and different unique guitars uh, gets me. That's, that's how I get my sound. And like, that's the, that's how like the records that I like, you know, wanted to replicate and making tones were like, when I look them up, it's like, that's what they're doing. They're blending guitar tones and blending different amps and multiple takes. And so now like, now we're in a world of making pop music with autotune and my perception of, of pitch is so detailed that I can't sit here and listen to a guitar player play a perfectly tuned guitar out of tune because he fucking bends strings when he plays a power chord because he doesn't know how to hold it right. Like, otherwise I'm going to grab the guitar and play it for him and he's going to hate me and I'm ultimately just trying to make his record sound the best possible. You know what I mean? And they don't get it. So that's why instead I'll just give you an Evertune and we'll eliminate that entire process there. That way... You can only play it correct and on time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes total sense. Oh, you have a bend? Then we'll fucking put that note in a bend and we'll go back there and we'll punch that bend. Perfect. For sure. And then in terms of your guitars, and, and you mentioned doing a lot of stacking, like, do you have a typical type of stack that you would do? Like, is it, do you have like a super fuzzy guitar or something really clean? Like, what, what's that typically look like for you? When I reamp, I reamp through two amps simultaneously. One is a 412, the other is a 212. Uh, the 212 is a little spongier and cleaner. 412 is like the big power house, you know what I mean? And so I just blend those. And then from there, it's like if I'm using a Strat and he's playing a uh, like a lead and it sounds a little thin, um, I'll try like my 335 or my Tele and like try to blend that in there and maybe give it a little bit more bottom end. And then that way I have an EQ with two faders instead of like having to grab an EQ and be like, oh, the Strat sounds thin. Let me... Let me crank some, like, I'll just fucking blend in a, a perfectly in tune double of the telly and it'll make it sound more dimensional and even bigger, you know? Like, so it sounds like you're, you're stacking kind of more amp sounds as opposed to like performances. No, lots of performances and amp sounds. Every guitar that I record goes through two amps and a stereo room mic. So, and, and any guitar I record, I do a stereo version of it at all the time. So if you're going to play a Strat, you're going to do it on the left and the right. If we're going to do double that with a Tele, that's going to be on the left and the right. When you reamp that, that's going to be going through two amps each. So that's eight amplifiers for those four guitars. Crazy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely would get a variety of sounds mixing those guitars as well. Yep. And potential phase nightmare, but also phase <laughs> is a form of uh, EQ. So, you know, works. So then how do you deal with the phase then? You print a one kilohertz beep. And then you align it after you ramp it. Fair enough. There you go. <laughs> that sounds. I've tried super simple, dude. I've like gone like I've gone down the rabbit hole of like fucking summing mics in, summing them afterwards. Blah blah blah. Nothing works better than me like slipping it in Pro Tools, getting it in phase, and then summing it in Pro Tools. It always sounds better. Yeah, the classic engineer move of laying down tones and matching to that. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Exactly. It's like a tape machine, you know. Exactly. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. So you you'd also talked about. Um, kind of going back to what we talked about with production and, and MIDI and all that kind of stuff. How involved do you like to get when you're producing a record? Like, do you get involved deeply in the songwriting process? Like, it sounds like sounds like you do. I used to be very resistant about that based upon, like, who, what kind of band it would be or, like, who was in the room and how, like, much they wanted me to get involved. And now I just completely just throw out whatever I'm thinking what and whatever idea I have, you know what I mean? And, like, 98% of the time, people, like, it works well and it, it either... My idea works or it initiates some sort of collaboration where they bring an even better idea to the table and it's great. And that's it. Like it's a form of just like making shit awesome. You know what I mean? So like 
I, I don't hold back on anything. You know, if I'm like the guitar part should go like this, the bass part should go like this, like this entire tempo's too wrong, this key of the song needs to be different. Like, no, we need to use a different snare drum than this for this part of the song. But like I I just fucking throw it out there. It just comes out of me, you know. Yeah, it makes sense. It's it's a collaboration for sure. And and that's really the only way to know that you for sure have chosen the best parts and the best arrangements. Yeah. For sure. So then in the end, like what ultimately makes a good song in your opinion? What makes a good song is me being like, I want to listen to that again. And it's like my flavor of the week. It's like the the only thing I can I can listen to. Like that's it. Like I and I like want to send it to people and like want to be like yeah what is it like and if i go home my wife is like this is great it's like fucking awesome like my wife doesn't even really like music so if she likes anything that i did then like we're on to something so uh yeah like that's it's all just kind of like about following gut instinct and like if it feels right then it is right and then in terms of things that you would typically end up correcting in like the pre-production stage is there any like common mistakes or common problems that you see a lot of artists coming to you with biggest problem is like kick hits not hitting with no one plays to the guitar riff and they don't play to the vocal. You know what I mean? It's like, just sit down and what is your vocal line? Play drums to that. And you notice how your drum beat doesn't even follow that. You guys are in two different worlds. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, that's where like, but also that's the thing where like, no one understands what I'm talking about until like it actually like, until you just hear the two different versions of it. And you're like, Oh, this one sits way better and makes me headbang way harder. So that's definitely the kick pattern that it needs to be, you know? So like that's the major thing that I have to fix is like literally like eighth and sixteenth notes of movements and that's it. Yeah, sometimes that's all it is, right? You just remove and it. A like hit. Makes a world of a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as long as you have people who are open minded to it, then you're gonna get good results, right? Yeah, and that's where it's great to do that on the MIDI drums because then you could try everything and show them, and then they could hear it, and then they're like, "Oh, I understand now." And then you're like, "Great, let me print these MIDI drums and now listen to these in your headphones for three days, and you're gonna have a bunch of homework to catch up to." And this now we're, we're now we'll record drums in three days. And then when you do it, they fucking know every hit. It's like giving them a fucking screenplay and being like, memorize your lines. Okay, now we're going to go out on stage and you're going to act this thing. Perfect. Here we go. Like line one, you know, show me it. Perfect. Great job. No, no, no. It's not B or not. It's to be or not to be. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget the two, you know, like shit like that. <laughs> That's a great analogy. I never thought about it that way, but, but it's so true. It's like, you know, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of musicians are like, Oh, it's art. Like whatever. We just do what feels natural. But it's like, no, like, yeah, no one fucking just makes a movie by being like, all right, the film studios here. Okay. Uh, let's set up the shots and let's just fucking do this. Like, no, they go over the screenplay. They fucking do a screen reading. They fucking do a costume set. They figure all that fucking out. And then they record fucking scene by scene line by line like <laughs> like uh there's like that famous like um i think it's a mutt lang quote where someone was like uh like you know like we just want to make you know we just want to make our record and he was like i don't want to make your record i want to make star wars <laughs> sounds like mutt lang's production you know <laughs> just like too good to be true you know what i mean like i i don't want to just record your band i want to make a fucking star wars record you know what i mean yeah absolutely like you're hiring again going back to that idea of like you're hiring an engineer to create a certain sound and get that certain landscape yep. and and uh you know add the right elements to make the song what it needs to be yeah exactly so um on the production note i did have a, a question from a listener who as soon as he found out that i was talking to you he like immediately sent yeah. me a message and was like dude you gotta ask him this question because I, I love sam's productions yeah hell yeah so this question's from brandon membrary and he said what was the vibe like when you guys were recording the story so far as album what you don't see and what was your favorite song that you jammed the most during that process that record was definitely stressful uh for a lot of reasons but mainly like main reason is that we had a 
executive producer. I use quotes on that because it's really just a, a co like songwriter like collaboration. And like I was, you know, I'm it's my studio. I'm choosing the sounds. I'm getting the takes. I'm helping out. Like I'm actually the producer, you know. So it was like I had to like fight for my like involvement in a lot of things. You know what I mean? So like that always gets frustrating. But uh, it's so like that record was just like me being like, all right, like. Blake 182, Newfound Glory, Tom Ward Algae mixes, blah, blah, blah. Like, I want to do all of that and even better. Like, I just want to, like, I want to beat all those records and, like, make it awesome and make it huge, make it glossy. Uh, and so, like, you know, that's stacked guitars, crazy, like, you know, attention to detail on drum miking, um, crazy attention to detail on vocal tracking, uh, like, just a lot, a lot of work. You know what I mean? Like, months and months and months of work, hard work, fun work. Um, but yeah, like the, I think the one that I usually put on most to like check and get my mix like happening was the song face value because it's just like a, it just starts off and bangs super hard. Uh, and it's just like, that's like, I need size impact impressive. Like on these, it's like, da 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 da. like I need this to sound huge, bigger than everyone else's cleaner than everyone else's glossier than everyone else's more creative than everyone else's, more original than everyone else's. Like, this is like, I spent months on like that intro of that song. And like, once I had like the intro dialed, most of the tones for the entire record were good. That's amazing. Yeah, well, that's that attention to detail. You had thrown out like the names like Tom Lord and, and like trying to like really create stuff that would compete in that that landscape there. Um, so those are obviously like big shoes to compete with, but like, when, when you're approaching a mix, like, where do you start or how do you start? Like, do you have a certain order that you generally work out of or how do you, how do you approach your mixes? It's basically just like, how do you build the house? Well, first you got to clear your, you know, you got to clear your debris then you got to build your frame of the house and then you got to start, you know, put it on the walls and then start going from there and then details last, you know? So it really is like, let's see what I have. Let's clean up all the tracks. Let's make everything like sound like cohesively right before I even like dive into this, like just all faders up, you know what I mean? Like what's happening. And then from there, it's really just about like soloing all the drums simultaneously, getting them to like hit and like be awesome. Then after that, you're like, all right, let's solo up a snare and like EQ that a little bit. Like it sounds like a little honky, could use some top end, like I'll give it that. All right, cool. Like I'm not like, I'm not a big solo guy. Like I do everything with just like listening in context a lot. And then I solo after, um, I'm all like, I'm very big picture for like 90% of the time. Like I actually like, I think detail is like details in the arrangement and is in like the actual, like, you know what I mean? If you, if you do your arrangement perfectly, the detail is there. All you have to do is get the impact and size and it's all there. It all works perfectly, you know? So, uh, it's, that's like my main thing that I like really look forward to is like, you know, or like lo really look into is just like getting the, the size, the impact, the depth. And then it's about like focusing on every element's detail. Like are the drums right? Are, are my cymbals right? Are my uh, hi-hat standing out? Is my bass like cool and unique? Okay. Is my guitar cool? Like how does it sound compared to this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like it just starts with big picture and then you just start freaking out about every element. Yeah. And then, so how long would it typically take you to finish a mix? Depends on the song. Uh, I mean, I just like, I just did a song for their hundredth the other day. And it took me like maybe three hours to uh, get the basic like static mix going. And then when I sent that, they were just like, this is perfect. Like turn the vocals up a little bit, like uh, turn the bass down just a little bit, like print that. Okay, great. Now maybe I just need to like copy and paste uh, a part and like create some echo thing here. Like, you know, the, the initial mix prints are like 
it should be right. You know what I mean? Like the static mix should be like there. It should sound right. And instead, the revisions should be about freaking out about the detail, not like, oh, dude, these drums are not right at all. You know what I mean? Like, oh, dude, the bass is totally the wrong tone. You know what I mean? Like that, that shouldn't be the thing. That should have been handled in like the production stage or like, you know. Uh, so I rarely get to that point, which is great. Uh, but when I do, it's more so a concerning part on whoever is making the revision, not on my judgment. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> For sure. And then in terms of the revisions, like like you just sent, said that example of sending the song to the band, like, do you, at that point when you sent it to them, were you in a position where you were like, I know that I've got a ton of other stuff I need to do to this? Or was it something that, where you're like, you know what, I'm just comfortable with this. Like, let's just see what they think and find details from there. Yeah, I know that I have a bunch of other shit to do, but also like, I'm about to tear it down for the night. I'm comfortable enough to actually like peep this in my car. Like I've been peeping it for like the last three hours, like and, and kicking it. You know what I mean? So like I'll send it to the guys and then they're, they're going to do the exact same thing, you know? So it's just like, like I want my static mix to be like the first thing I send out because like no automation is, is happening. So I'm not locked to anything. Everything is still free. I can move anything and like go from there, you know? So I try to do automation like last, 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 last. So then how do you know when you're done a mix? Is it, just at that point when you've done the automation? I'm pretty much done with the mix on the first initial time that I send it. Uh, then it just comes about like subjective detail freaking out stuff. You know what I mean? That I'm happy to like apply unless it starts like fucking up a mix and ruining like my day and taking too many hours of my time. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't find it to be conducive to, or to actually like, it's like one of those like, is this revision going to win this song a Grammy? No, it's just going to make the song different. Then I don't need to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I like as long as the mix revisions are like actually conducive to the mix and like actually like conducive to the the structure and arrangement of the song. I'm totally happy to do that, and I'm totally happy to hear people's ideas of that because like bands like Hundredth, like they have like super good arrangement ideas all the time. You know what I mean? And they'll like throw it out after like we finish like mix two. It's like oh hang on, can you do this like quick copy and paste vocal and like throw this effect on it? It's like perfect, just a little bit more effect. Perfect, done. Like and that takes like three hours to like converse back and forth with each other and like print those. You know what I mean? Like. Super easy. Yeah. So then how do you prevent yourself from going down that rabbit hole after the fact of like, like you said, you've done a great mix and you're pretty happy with it. And then you send it to the band. They've got some more arrangement things like from arrangement. I guess it depends on what the, the revisions are, but you can go with the pretty deep rabbit hole down there, right? Yeah. I mean, not really, though, because also like at the same time with a lot of the range, like, I mean, if I don't if I'm not handling a lot of the initial engineering and production, I'm actually doing like arrangement muting and shit like that on my own. You know what I mean? I'm like, there's too many guitars here. I need to introduce that in the second half instead of have it going on the whole time. Like I start going through that arrangement stuff. So there's like there's not it's not as subjective as one would think. It's very cut and dry. It's like, are there vocals here? Got it. What is the the revision? You want this thing to do something more? No, because the vocals go in there and it would be distracting. No to the revision. What's the next one? You know what I mean? Like they have to they have to make sense in the arrangement and actually like serve the fucking song. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and especially like if you're not doing that production early on, you know, you you do tend to get people who overdo the layering and everything right away because they just want to stack and stack and stack. And, you know, they lose sight of how it actually fits in the overall picture. Yeah, exactly. They lose complete sight of it. That's where, like, I try to stay, like, I like doing most of the pre-production and, like, the DI and MIDI guitars like that because I can stay big picture and be like, this song works with very little elements in it. Now, let's start adding this stuff to it. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, God, maybe we need, like, something in the bridge here. It's like, it's, no, no, what's the arrangement? Perfect. What's the vocal? Perfect. Cool. Like, oh, we don't really have an opportunity for a lead there unless it's like this cool counter melody that sits right because the vocal's going there. You can't fucking be a lead, you know? So it's like, it's really like, let the song drive the entire process. Yeah. And then ultimately, in your opinion, like we talked about what makes a great song, but what makes a great mix? <laughs> I, I said this once to uh, 
Joel Wanasek. <laughs> Shout out to Joel from uh, URM. He's a good guy. Um, like I, I was like ran into a Nam, and uh, I was like, well, let me ask you like this little. Let me ask you a question. Who's the best mixer of all time? And he was like, ah, I don't know. Eric Valentine. I was like, wrong. It's your songs arrangement. Ooh, that's good. I like that. And that's what makes your mix, man. Is like, like, and it's very easy. Like, it's very obvious when you're gonna blow the mix because you're not serving the arrangement of the song. You know what I mean? And like, that's actually what a good mix is. Like, like, why is serving an A like the fucking man at fucking pop music? Because he serves the arrangement of the songs. He serves the songs. Like, he knows how to make the song sound like the song. You know what I mean? When you listen to the song, it sounds like the song's supposed to sound. You know what I mean? Like it's perfect. It's not like, oh, he's just like trying to like you know throw some shit in there. He's 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 doing what the song is asking of him. Like that's the definition of a great mix. Yeah, for absolutely. Yeah, and like and and that's like where like like I said like I have a heavy thumbprint, but my heavy thumbprint is in my production and engineering. It's not in my mixes. You know what I mean? My mixes are very simple in terms of like the tools that I'm using. They're very much about like arranging the things and respecting the integrity of the source material, as opposed to like oh fuck that, I'm gonna replace that kick drum and listen to it now with my sample. Like I don't do that shit. You know what I mean? Like like so it's just about like being invisible and serving the song you know it, it's funny that uh you and i were talking about jack richardson earlier and uh and he he once said something very similar to me and i've told the story countless times on my podcast but um the first time i ever had the courage to ask him to listen to one of my mixes i was like hey jack like, can you listen to this and like let me know what you think and he's like sure but if the song sucks what difference does the mix make and and like i was like shit you're right <laughs> you know and luckily, I like the song. So luckily, I like the song, but it, you know, it made that changed my perspective going forward. Of like, it really does come down to the song, and that ultimately makes the mix easy. Yep, Garth said a similar thing to me in Canada. Garth being Jack's son, I was like, "What advice would you have like for me?" And he was like, "Don't start making a record unless you have songs," which was like a dig <laughs> at the story so far because like we didn't have enough songs when we started making the record in Canada. Like, <laughs> like don't start a record until you have like the songs to record. Like point taken like midi drums from now on song arrangement before i start <laughs> recording your band you know what i mean like understood <laughs> so true so then on that note like do you go into albums like do you tell bands to come to you with like way more songs than they expect to record yeah i mean like dangerous summer uh came up with like 20 songs and they fucking literally dropped every song and like made a brand new song every day at the studio and like we pulled from like three demos like for some material like when we were stuck but like like they were like so vibed out that they were just like, I'm feeling the vibe. Like, let's write songs. Let's do this. You know? So like, um, yeah, ideally we have a bunch of songs to work with, like enough for me to like pull up in a template here and be like, I like this one. I like this one. And like, figure out like a starting point of like where to go. And also like, like vibing out with the dudes and like what songs they like too. You know what I mean? Like, which ones are your favorite of the demos? Like, Oh, that's cool. Cause that's my favorite of the demos. Like, so we're like aligned with like where we're going. Cool. Let's make more songs like this or more in this area. Like, uh, yeah, it's really important, extremely important to have it. Like, you can't just like, like when I went to Canada, I walked in there was like, all right, what are we going to record? Cause they, it was like, oh, they're going to do their own pre-pro. Like they they want to do a different studio now with you at your studio instead of just like, uh, they want you to engineer at a different studio. So I, like, I walk in, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to walk into here. We'll see. Like, all right, how many songs you got? We got like four, two have vocals. Like, and then we have like a two, like two other songs that are like half finished. It's like, okay, I have to make uh, 10 songs in 25 days. And we only have like four working songs right now. Like, 
what? <laughs> you know what I mean, like I will never, I will never put myself in this scenario again, and I will make sure that we have the opportunity to do pre-pro and writing before we actually start recording a record. You know, yeah, it's, it's not the '80s anymore where people just book off like no. a year of studio time and just create there. But at the same time, too, it's it's interesting that you know under pressure sometimes you do get great results because people just you're, you're not overthinking everything. Yeah, I think well. You get good results, but in an undesirable process. You know what I mean? And so that's where like, like when people look back on it, they're like, yeah, that whole thing was undesirable. And it's like, but dude, the end result is like so perfect. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> like you can, you, like that works, that's fine. But like you run the, the risk of like, like hitting serious burnout and like serious, like, uh, like demoralizing fucking morale you know scenarios for sure yeah it's like having that morale is such a major part of it and as the producer being the person that's trying to like encourage them to get the best performances and all that stuff like you know the last thing you want is to burn people out but yeah exactly but but yeah i can see how that's the only thing you can do because you're working with like little time little preparation and you're it's an unrealistic timeline and scenario so the only thing you can do is work your ass off and like hope that when you like hope that you're going to cross the finish line and even if you cross the finish line and the car is like fucking burning and like explodes like one second after like crossing the finish line like hey we crossed the finish line right like that's all that matters right like for some people no they want the car to be completely intact and cross the finish line instead for me i'm like i don't care as long as we get to the finish line like yeah and, and that's and that's a very producer approach to it and as long as you get good results, people will still come back to you. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. My work speaks for itself. Like, that's the only thing I care about is like what comes out of the speakers. What comes out of the speakers defines me. That's it. Like, yeah. If you put yourself in that corner of like not being prepared, then the onus is really on you, you know, as the yeah, artist. Exactly. I always think about like, like, I know you're into like Slipknot as well. And like, I think of like Ross Robinson productions. And, and when I listen to like some, it, yeah, man, he's my, one of my favorite producers, dude. Yeah. And, and like, but I listen to some stories that like being in the studio with him and how he's just like super aggressive with the bands and like really trying yeah, to he hits people and he throws things at them and he like fucking like breaks them down and he makes Jonathan Davis sing a song about cheating on his wife in front of his wife while his wife is staring into his eyes. Like that fool is fucking psycho. And I love that shit. I think it's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, uh, do I want to go to the furthest extent that he does? No. Uh, am I happy with being somewhere in the middle? Totally fine. You know what I mean? Like, that's cool. Like, cause I want my music to be like emotional and intense. And I want like, I want people to have these records, like define periods of their lives where they're like, this was like a, like when I listen to this record, I like think about like where I was, who I was, how I felt, the angst I feel, blah, blah, blah. Like this record is an emotion that like I can tap into whenever I put it on, you know, like that's, that's what music is. It's an emotion. It's not like something, it's not something you hear. It's something you experience, you know? Um, and so it's like, it's this like guys like Ross Robinson, like totally influenced like the majority of the fucking material that I grew up listening to. You know what I mean? So like, if you're going to get a dude to scream into a mic, you're going to fucking like, like, have you seen those videos of like Ross Robinson being like, Jonathan, go back to that place. Think about that time. And he's like, making him think about his sexual abuse and trauma that he's about to sing about. He's like, go back to that place. I want you to feel that pain. And then like the next take is Jonathan Davis be like, <laughs> you know, it's like, holy shit, dude. Like, like I wouldn't do that, but like, I totally respect the fuck out of that. I think that's great. You know what I mean? And I'm glad that a guy like him exists to make music like that, to influence and create and set a bar for some people to want to, you know, achieve at some point, you know? Yeah. 
for sure. And again, it goes back to that same idea we just talked about at the very beginning of like, you are you. And you go to Ross Robinson knowing that you're going to have probably a difficult recording experience, but you're going to get that yeah, emotion. Yeah, he's probably going to sock you. He might sock you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He uh, might throw a lit candle at you, you know, like, yeah, you see all happens. those videos of him, like throwing like vases at people and like, yeah, exactly. Like I, there's like a video of him, like recording some like heavy band and they're like recording, like it's like, you know, guitars from front to back, like live, like, and they're playing simultaneously and he's just like pushing them. Like he's like at a show and like, like moshing against them. He's just, like, I want to sound fucked up, man. Like you're playing too perfect, playing too perfect, man. Like you got to play more fucked up. Like. I would, I'm the total opposite. I'm like, dude, you're playing it fucked up. Play it perfect. Play it perfect. Like exactly perfect. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's like, but like, I like his attitude and approach. I totally have that same aesthetic, you know? Yeah. It's the physical thing that just takes it to that next level, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> For sure. So again, going back to the idea of like the Tom Lord algae things, at what point did you feel like you started to make really good mixes? Like what, what point did you get that confidence that like you could, you could do that Tom Lord algae mix and beat it? Well, the best work I've ever done is the work I'm doing today. And then tomorrow, I would be the exact same statement. So I come in, I go into every mix with like this total obsession with trying to make it perfect, you know? And so I've been very comfortable with my signal flow and my results for quite a long time. Um, I, I always hear room for improvement and like obsess over achieving new things, but I've never like... You know, like getting a guy like Tom Wood Algie to mix like a story song and like getting Eric Valentine to mix the story record, like going and hanging out with them and seeing what they did. Like, like, again, I thought I was just like, I thought it was going to change my life. I thought it'd be like, I have to buy an SSL now. Oh my God. I need to buy an unfair child. Like, oh my God. Like I fucking like, like if, if only I had Tom Wood Algie set up, I could make good mixes. Like now instead, like those experiences weren't demoralizing. They were incredibly validating, incredibly reassuring and incredibly inspiring for me to just be more of myself. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm not being, I'm not being myself enough. You know what I mean? Like I need to go even further down, like actually pushing for these arrangement ideas and these tones and these like obsession over these details. And if I do this, then I'll achieve even better results than I'm achieving right now. And so, uh, it's, it's always fun to like, listen to old records that I used to be like, God, if I can make a record sound that good, like I'd just be like, I'd be set. And like today I, I like, I can listen to records like that and be like, I can make a record sound way fucking better than this today. You know what I mean? So like I, it's like, maybe I'm delusional or maybe I'm just fucking overly like arrogant and self-confident, but like, I know, I know my skills and I know my, my skill set and I know my passion and I know what I bring to the table. And like, when I come to work, I come to work hard and make it count every single time. You know what I mean? Like I've, and, and I'm always confident in my abilities and my end results. Absolutely. You had mentioned how those sessions weren't demoralizing, but, in, but instead they like encouraged you. Was that a result of something that like a conversation that was said, or was it just like a matter of watching how those people work and then thinking like, yeah, I kind of do the same thing. Both. I mean, incredibly validating to have like a dude like Tom Wood Algie be like, like, dude, like these, like these fucking tracks sound killer, man. Like these guitar tones are like fucking awesome, man. Like, and then uh, my favorite one that I love to always mention because it just blew me away that it happened was uh, like we started one of the days and Tom was like working on the, he's working on the vocals and he's like soloing them up and he's like trying to like, it's like I'm trying a bunch of different compressors on it and just like trying to try to figure it out, and then he like turns around and he like pulls up like his like e-cigarette and he like hits it and he's just like. I think I just figured something out. And I was like, what's that? And he was like, all these tracks, everything in here, pristine. Pristine. Like, 
some of the finest detail and some of the, like the coolest tones I've heard in a while. These are great. These vocals, though, I don't know where to start. You didn't record these, did you? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I knew it because there's no way you would produce a result like this. Why didn't you record these vocals, Sam? And then he like, he basically was just like, he basically gave me a bunch of confidence. It was like, you got to fight harder for like the integrity of your work. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, fucking, like, if you're not going to be involved, like, get out of there or fucking like play hard and like actually make a count. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't like, oh, whatever. It's fine, dude. Like, he was like, he was passionate about the source material and like, the end result was just like, you just need to be more yourself, you know? Yeah, that would definitely feel great having that said from a guy like that. Yeah, it was awesome. And he was just like the coolest, most accommodating nights guy. He was great. You know what I mean? And like, and there was also like, I remember I was showing him like some of the softer stuff. And like, you know, he, he played me like this, uh, um, I forget what the guy's name, like Stephen Marley or Stephen Morse or something like that. One of the prog dudes from like Porky Country. Uh, he fucking loves him and like played one of the songs for me and like just was like raving about the mix and how good it was. And it was like, you know, he's like, I didn't mix this or anything. I just fucking love this stuff. Like, I'm so inspired by it. Like, he's like, show, put on something. Show me what you're inspired by. And I put on a Mac DeMarco song. And he was like, he was like, really? Like, interesting. I didn't expect this out of you. And I was like, yeah, man. Like, and then I showed him a bunch of like the other like softer story stuff that I was doing. And he was just like, he, he literally said to me, he was like, those sound great, man. He was like, if you have like, like heavy bangers like this, send those my way. These things. I, I wouldn't be able to touch it like you touch those things like you know, like you know, he's just like incredibly like he's like I'm listening to this like metal mix that I love it's not mine I'm listening to these like soft demos that you're showing me and I can't make stuff like that like he was just completely transparent and awesome and encouraging like that so it was like sick man like he just he made me feel confident and like my ability to make things count you know absolutely that's huge that's a huge compliment yeah it was great so it's very interesting that he kind of was able to see that you have this whole other, like you primarily do a lot of heavier, louder rock stuff, but then you also have this like obsession with pop music and you were talking about Max Martin and like, how do you think that those pop elements or the pop influences, like how do you feel that that influences the work that you do even when you're working with those heavier bands? I just fell down the Prince rabbit hole the other day and I've tried for many years and I, it just, it hit me so hard the other day that like I was inspired enough that I was like, at this moment I could get a Prince tattoo. Like that's how like stoked and inspired by Prince like I've been recently. Uh, and when you like get into guys like Max Martin and stuff like that, you just like realize that they're obsessed with guys like Prince, you know? And and I, I never really kind of understood why, but I, I, I always understood that he was talented, that he was a great guitar player, but I didn't really understand the other element to it. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like this when you, when you, you know, be like, like I would first like be playing like Katy Perry or Justin Bieber or like, you know, bands don't expect to come into the studio and like have me playing like weird hip hop and shit like that sometimes. And they're like, dude, who is this? And, and what, what they don't know is that the reason I get into music is because I follow producers and that I'm obsessed with what they're going to work on next. So I, I choose to listen to my artists based upon like, like producers i'm basically listening to producers content and so i like i like you know their thumbprint and their like arrangement things and they all like have different styles and i think that they're really cool uh and so with that being said um what you start learning and these people don't understand when they first like don't when they don't get pop you know is that uh it doesn't matter who it doesn't matter like who sings the song as long as they deliver the song correctly you know what i mean so like 
all these like Katy Perry songs, etc. No one realizes that it's like the same songwriter behind this. You know what I mean? And, and that she's basically just the actress for the movie. You know what I mean? Like they're like, all right, this is the screenplay, and we're gonna have this as our lead actress, and she's gonna sell this role. It's gonna be perfect. You know what I mean? Like they collaborate on it, but like ultimately they're just the actress. You know? And that's that really all came from. Prince, because Prince was the first major songwriter guy that was fucking giving songs to everyone else to make their careers huge. And like he was the creation of like, you know, so much like Manic Monday and fucking uh, great Stevie Nicks songs and stuff like that. Like he just, he's, he's the exact example of like that, like of a, of a classic, amazing producer songwriter that like he himself is talented, but maybe he's not the right actor for this song. You know what I mean? Like maybe he's not the right lead for this like role. Um, and so that's where, like, when I when I listened to a lot of the songs, I, it took me a while to remove Prince from the equation. I had to listen to the songs and the math and be like, oh, my God, this is fucking genius. He is literally the best to listen to. Like, he's just the smartest one. And every song that I listen to from his, it just blows me away. He's so smart in his arrangement and his, like, uh, melodies. It's just, and it's also, it's so funny because, like, he does, it's all just like a style. It's all like a sense of like, he always kind of like uses the same progressions. He always kind of uses the same fucking like little melodies. Uh, it's so Prince. It's so obvious when it's a Prince thing. And I, and I love that trademark thing about it. And so those are the things where like, I try to, I try to incorporate this, this huge, like it's, uh, it's like having a, uh, an easel of colors. You know what I mean? Like I try to have a bunch of different colors that I could pull from for when I'm like, like this moment needs this, and this is what we need to do. This is the right arrangement choice to make it vibe like this, and this is what we should do. And, and I learn all that by just obsessing over songwriting and producers and, and music, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I don't even care about tones anymore. Like, that's like the fucking back of my hand. I know how to do that shit all day long now. You're like, all I care about is like, is the fucking song genius, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that you that you said, you said two things that kind of contradicted each other, but I, but I, I see what you're saying. You said that it doesn't really matter you know, like Prince wrote those songs or Max Martin writes all those songs and like the songs themselves stand the test of time. Like they're great songs. And then you also said that like Prince also, you know, you kind of think that he wasn't the best actor for, for those. Songs. Yeah, exactly. So that's where like the song still stands the test of time, but it doesn't deliver the right. It doesn't deliver it the way that it's going to make a massive hit unless you have the right actor. You know what I mean? So like, that's where it's like, you could still hear the genius of his song by that, but like he also, it's very clear where like he's not the right actor for that song when you hear it. And like when you hear the Cindy Lauper do When You Were Mine instead of his version of, of When You Were Mine, hers is like 10 times better, but it's identical to his. It's just a different key and it's just her singing it. It's awesome, you know? Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. It's like an attitude thing as well, right? Yeah. Like there was some leaked Max Martin demos of him doing like Britney Spears tunes or whatever. And like he's singing on the tracks. You know, and it's like you listen to the songs and you're like, these are still really good. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just it's just about a smart melody and like using the lyrics that are mathematically correct and the right syllables to to pedal the melody, man. So then when you're when you're working with bands, how do you figure out that, like, this is the best actor with the best song? Well, I'm. I'm limited to my actor and their songs. You know what I mean? So what are the best songs that like sound great with this actor and, and within this time frame that we have, you know what I mean? Cause I'm not, I'm not a songwriter. You know what I mean? Like I'm not creating songs. I'm nudging ideas into a better territory than where they initially started. That's my whole kind of goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. Well, I think that 
that's a good spot to probably wrap up because I think that just summed up production right there. There you go, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. For people who want to follow you and learn a little bit more about you, how can they do that? You can follow me on Instagram at Sam Pura, which is S-A-M, P as in Panda, U-R-A. And my phone number's on there. You can just hit me up anytime. I'm always down to be best friends. I'm very easily accessible and I'm extremely passionate about audio. And if you are, then I'll probably want to talk and chat with you about it. You know what I mean? And be best friends. And speaking of best friends, you have an awesome podcast yourself. Yeah, I haven't done one in a while. I need to do it again. I've just been too fucking busy, but that's why it's nice to do yours. So at least I have something out there for a minute, you know? Yep. So your podcast is Best Friends with Sam Pura? Best Friends with Sam Pura, yep. And I, uh, I talk audio and try to talk to cool people whenever they're available to hang and drink beer and be best friends, you know? For sure, man. And uh, lastly, any cool projects that you're working on right now that you can talk about? Or that you're stoked about? Yeah, I'm working on so I'm working on like a metal project. My homie Stu, he used to be in this band called Folsom. It's probably gonna be like I mean, it's like my whole goal is like I wanna make it metallic, black album, Pantera, Slayer. It's like like what I did to the story so far is like what you don't see, like I'm coming for metal with this one. So uh it's I'm going very far down the rabbit hole on it. It's been very fun. Uh I got some other like a bunch of like pop stuff that I've been doing with a couple of friends. Um That'll start coming out. Some new hundred tracks. Um, yeah, not not too much stuff, but enough stuff to keep me busy. Enough like cool stuff where I'm just like I'm not recording bands anymore. I'm just making music every day, so it's great. You know, living the dream, man. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, dude, thanks again so much for for doing this. Absolutely, man. So that was my interview with Sam Pura, and what a chill dude, eh? Like he's there's my Canadian coming out, eh? But uh, Sam is such a chill dude, and. Just so down to earth and and just one of the most relaxed people that I've interviewed on this podcast. And I thought he had a lot of really cool things that he shared there. And I love the insight that he gave into his studio. I think it's so amazing that he's got all of this crazy technology there, but yet he still sticks to the foundational stuff. He still sticks to the basics. And I think that that says a lot about how sometimes as engineers, we get so distracted with gear and we... We just want to experiment all the time, and maybe it's just like a creative outlet, or maybe it's just like constant search for perfection, or maybe it's a lack of confidence in your ability to just get the right tones really quickly. But I love that, yeah, he has all these cool tools, but he knows how to use them and when to use them, and he doesn't go overkill with experimenting the whole time. He works quick, and that's what it's all about. It's all about just owning the process and feeling confident in what you're doing and almost templating your work so that you can get stuff done much more efficiently. Sam, thanks again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. And to you, the listener, thank you so much for sticking around to the end here. Really appreciate that as well. And if this is your first time listening to the Master Your Mix podcast, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. And on that page, I'm giving away what I call the ultimate mixing blueprint. And that is a guide to using EQ and compression in your mixes to help you get results fast and to take the guesswork out of using EQ and compression. And inside of that, I walk you through how to apply EQ and which frequencies to pay attention to in terms of boosting and cutting, what compression settings to use, all on a whole bunch of different instruments. So make sure to check that out, masteryourmix.com forward slash blueprint. That's where you can get that. And also, like I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, 
please leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you listen to this on there. That just helps to spread the word about the podcast and get us exposed to more new listeners. And that just helps to keep things going and get new and interesting guests on the show as well. So I would really appreciate it if you do that. And that's it for today's episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to talk to you in the next one. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.